in the middle of a series called Peace on the Parkway, where we are learning how to experience God's peace by hearing God teach about it through the Apostle Paul and his letter to the Philippians, chapter four. And to start our study off today, I have a question for you. Are you happy? Are you happy? And if you're like most people, you have to pause and you have to think about it. And you have to say, am I happy? Um, are you saying, uh, am I happy today? Or are you saying, am I happy in general as a person? Um, are you saying, oh wait, are you saying, am I happy compared to other people? Because I know some people who are really miserable. And I, so I know I'm happy compared to them. But... I also know people who are, who just seem much happier than me, so maybe I'm not that happy. You know, happiness for me is kind of circumstances. If I got good circumstances, I'm happy. If my circumstances are not so great, I'm not happy. I don't know if I'm happy or not. I really, I don't know if I'm happy. I know I have a headache, but, so the question is, peace, happiness. They're intertwined because, you see, I tend to have peace when I'm happy, right? I tend to feel peace when I'm happy, but I don't feel peace when I'm not happy. That's, they're kind of intertwined. My happiness level goes up and down, and so therefore my peace level goes up and down. But wouldn't it be great if it was possible to experience a peace that lasts because I have an inner gladness that lasts, a peace that lasts. Now, that would be a different kind of peace. And this is exactly what we're all looking for. And the good news is, this is exactly what Jesus promises his followers when he says this in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give a peace like the world gives. The context of Jesus' promise here makes it clear that he is contrasting the world's idea of peace, which is the absence of conflict, to his peace, which is not an absence, but the presence of his Holy Spirit, producing peace in his followers. So in contrast to the world's peace, which is really nothing, it's an absence of conflict, Jesus offers his peace, which is really something. Jesus gives a permanent peace that is part of his permanent happiness coming from the permanent residence of his Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul writes about this different peace of Jesus in his letter to the Philippians in the fourth chapter. Paul says that through Jesus, I can experience a lasting peace that comes from a lasting inner gladness that empowers me to make a U-turn on the parkway of life so that 
when I am in bumper-to-bumper traffic that is pushing me down into frustration, I can make a U-turn by looking up and focusing on the eternal and what really matters. That when I am being driven down by harsh words or criticism, I can make a U-turn by hearing the word of Jesus calling me as his child. When I am pushed down into a frown due to life chaos, I can make a U-turn and smile because I am loved by the one who is in total control. And the Apostle Paul teaches this art of the U-turn in these words in Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is Jesus. This is Jesus calling to you if you are his follower. Jesus is calling you through that word. Rejoice. He's calling you back to your birthright, which is joy. But what is joy? Well, uh, I have a definition for you. Uh, Joy is God-given gladness that transcends circumstances. And you may say, where'd you get that definition? (laughs) I got it directly from Paul and his word when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let's break it down. Joy is God-given. That's what Paul means when he says rejoice in the Lord. There is one place to find true joy, and that is in the Lord. Joy is something that only God can give because joy is a unique expression of God's unique personality. Here's something that may come as a shock to some of you who think this whole following Jesus business is uh, kind, of, uh, kind of just all legalism and following rules and, uh, and trying to be moral and so forth. It, here, it may come as a surprise to you to find out that God is the happiest being in the universe, that Jesus was the happiest human being ever to live, and that following Jesus is not supposed to be a dutiful drag, but it's supposed to be growing more and more in the bubbling and sparkling gladness of Jesus. We know that Jesus was happy when he walked around on earth because only a very happy man could say what Jesus said in John 15. He said, I tell you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Have you ever read uh, Winnie the Pooh? Winnie the Pooh has these uh, wonderful characters and there's one character who is always complaining and always negative. That character is Eeyore. And uh, if you're an Eeyore, you cannot say, Let my joy be in you. Jesus was no Eeyore. Jesus is joy. And it is his goal to make me, his follower, like him in his joyfulness. There's a difference, you know, between childishness and childlikeness. Childishness is selfish immaturity. But childlikeness is something that Jesus lived and that Jesus 
lifted up as a virtue when he would say things like, you must be like a child, like a kid to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to read you something uh, from a Christian writer named G.K. Chesterton from his book, Orthodoxy, it's one of my favorite quotes, it goes like this. Because children have an unbounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore children want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in repetition. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in this way. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun and do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies similar in appearance. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but never grows tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of childhood, for we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. Oh, I, I love that last line. For we have sinned and grown old and jaded and drained of wonder, but our heavenly Father is younger than we. And as I add more and more gray hair to my head, I find this very encouraging that because I have this kind of Father, I don't need to grow old and cranky. I can grow young and cranky. No, I mean, young and joyful. Because the, as Paul says in another letter, joy is the fruit of the Spirit, which means that uh, his Holy Spirit takes personal, uh, permanent resonance in me and produces in me a permanent joy that transcends Circumstances, which is the next part of our definition. God-given joy transcends circumstances. And this is what Paul means by this word, always. So rejoice in the Lord means joy is God-given. Rejoice in the word, always, means God-given joy transcends circumstances which gets to the real issue, right? Because it is easy to be a person who rejoices when life is easy, the sun is shining, the stocks are all going up and to the right. But supernatural joy is seen for what it is when it shows up in a person who is trapped in a circumstance of hurt and pain and disappointment and suffering like the apostle Paul. When Paul writes this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Do you know where he is? He's trapped in a hole, in a pit. Paul is trapped in prison, a first century prison, which is likely a pit in the ground or a hillside cave uh, that was cold and dark and full of stench and disease. Paul got thrown in jail, not just this time, but almost everywhere he went. In fact, when Paul came to 
Philippi for the first time in order to start the church to uh, the church in which he's now writing a letter to. Uh, when Paul got to this town, he was thrown into jail. It's all recorded in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 16. Paul and his friend Silas are in Philippi telling the story of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And some of the listeners got so angry that Paul and Silas are taken to jail. And uh, the jailer gives them both a skull-cracking, rib-breaking beating with a rod. And then, after these beatings, Paul and Silas are thrown into the prison pit or prison cave. But listen to this. As night fell over the prison pits, the loud voices of Paul and Silas waft over to the other cells so all the prisoners hear Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas are not moaning in pain. They are not groaning with hunger. They are not grousing over the events of the day that were so unfair. Paul and Silas are singing. They're singing out of praise and love to Jesus. They're singing because they have this permanent peace that comes from a permanent gladness called joy. Just listen to it. Listen to the singing. First Paul coughs up blood from that beating and then he sings his lungs out to God. It's a U-turn. And when I hear Paul singing like this, it's kind of a proof to me that my negative circumstances don't need to make me negative. When I hear Paul singing, it's proof that even when I am not free to choose my circumstances, I am free to choose my response to those circumstances. Even when I am in chains, I am free to sing with joy. But how, Paul? How do I make this U-turn of joy? Paul gives two answers to this question in the very words that we're studying today. Paul explains that, one, joy is experiencing Jesus' work, and two, joy is believing Jesus' word. First, Joy is experiencing Jesus' work. This is what Paul means when he says rejoice in the Lord. Whenever he uses the word Lord, you know he is referring to Jesus and to Jesus' work on the cross to bring salvation and freedom uh, to those who believe in Jesus and his work on the cross. The reason that Paul can sing in prison is because any negative in his life was tiny in comparison to the overwhelming positive that he was experiencing in the work of Jesus for him. After a beating, Paul would say, oh, that was bad. And after we'd look in his uh, prison cell, look at the pit and say, this is bad. But then Paul would think and he would say, 
But the God of the universe loves me so much that he came in the person of Jesus and he died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven to welcome me home as his adored child and fill me with his spirit to empower me with his purpose. The beating was bad. The prison is bad. But Jesus is so good that I have to sing. How about you? Are you free? Are you free to sing like Paul? I mean, really, are you free? You have negative circumstances in your life now, or maybe there's some negative circumstances coming. Are you free not to choose your circumstances, but are you free to respond in your circumstances with joy, with responding even choosing a song in the midst of your suffering? Well, if you are experiencing the work of Jesus, you are free to do that. The question is, are you really experiencing that? You know, it's possible to be a believer in Jesus and not be experiencing the release from the chains. Your, your, your joy can be bound. And so uh, Jesus says that there's a solution to that. Jesus says to his followers, I give you the keys of the kingdom, which means that you have the power to release anyone. And you release them in prayer. And so here's my challenge to you, that right after this hour of worship, leave this room and go to the prayer room, our newly expanded prayer room. And uh, there at the prayer room, there will be... Uh, a lot of our men and women of prayer who will just come and ask you, what can I pray for? And if you have something that you, they can pray for, they'll pray for you in 90 seconds. Or maybe you wanna say, I just wanna be released so that I can have joy in the midst of my circumstances. I can't change my circumstances, but I can choose to be released in the midst of, of my circumstances. You know, that's because if, if I am experiencing Jesus' work on my behalf, it should have an effect on my attitude toward the hardships in my life. You know what else? If I am really experiencing Jesus' work on my behalf, it should have an effect on my attitude toward my people in my life. It should have an effect on my relationships. This is exactly what Paul means in Philippians chapter two. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, then, then your relationships should show the effect in the way that you are looking out for the interests of other people. Paul is saying here that if I'm experiencing Jesus' work, then it will have an effect on the attitude that I bring to my relationships. What kind of effect? Paul calls it the gentleness effect. Paul says that if I'm living with Jesus' joy in me, my gentleness will be evident, which means that because I have received grace from Jesus, that person who cuts me off on the parkway, well, I, had, I can show a little grace and let that go. You know, because I have been forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross for me, that means that even if I am wounded and hurt, instead of being bitter and seeking revenge against that person, I can forgive. Because I've been loved by Jesus 
beyond what I deserve, I can extend love to people who don't deserve it. Paul says when you rejoice in the Lord, it will have a gentleness effect. Don't be bashful about it, let it show. Which is exactly what Paul did with the Philippian jailer. Uh, Back in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are singing and then there's suddenly an earthquake that collapses the prison pit or the prison cave so that their chains are loosed and the prison doors fly open. And as soon as Paul steps out of the jail, who do you think he sees first? Paul sees the guy who brutally beat him. Does uh, Paul seek revenge against uh, that jailer? No, the jailer draws his sword in order to commit suicide because he doesn't want to go through the public humiliation of a Roman execution for letting prisoners go free. And Paul runs to the jailer who hurt him and says, stop, don't hurt yourself. I've told all the other prisoners that we're going to stay here because you don't need to worry about us going uh, and running away. The jailer is so overcome by Paul's gentleness that he collapses at Paul's feet and says, I've got to have what you have. Please tell me about Jesus. And the jailer became one of these members of the church of Philippi who received this very letter. Maybe you won't have people falling at your feet, but if you experience the work of Jesus and allow that gentleness to be evident in your life, the way you love your family members who have hurt you, uh, even help the coworker who falsely accuses you, maybe they just might say, well, I've got to have what you have. Then tell them about the joy you experience in Jesus' work for you. Paul, how do I live in this joy? First, there's joy in experiencing Jesus' work. Second, there's joy in believing Jesus' word. That's what Paul means when he says, the Lord is near. Lord, of course, refers to Jesus, and in that phrase, Lord, the Lord is near, Paul is simultaneously referring to two of the promises of Jesus that are meant to produce joy in his people. First, the Lord is near refers to Jesus' promise that he is with me. Jesus is joy, and he's with me every moment of every day, offering me this joy if I will just receive it from him. Jesus says, I am with you always in Matthew. Second, the Lord is near refers to Jesus' promise that eternity is at hand, that this life is short, and very soon I'm either going to Jesus or Jesus is coming to me. And speaking of his second coming, Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I am coming soon. Eternity is close at hand. And so Jesus points to the nearness of eternity and says, this should affect your perspective today. Jesus puts his arm around my shoulder and he says, uh, look at eternity. You don't want to get to eternity and look back on today with tears saying, why did I waste so much time in worry? Why did I make so many decisions out of fear? Why did I not take time to just appreciate the little joyful daisies in every day? Why did I choose childish complaining instead of childlike wonder? Why did I let troubles steal my birthright of joy? Why didn't I make the U-turn that was available 
available to me in each and every one of those negative circumstances in eternity. I don't wanna look back on today and see I squandered my birthright of joy. There are troubles in every life. If you are a student, if you are a single, if you are married, all of us have troubles, but in Jesus, we can help each other find his joy. My name is Narcisse. And I'm Lauren, and uh, we've been married for three years, and we have a one-year-old son, Ezekiel. I'm from Gabon, a small country in West Central Africa. Growing up, uh, we didn't have a lot of money, so I had to rely on God with almost everything, right? So uh, one of the things that I really struggled with when I was um, younger was asthma. So every uh, year I had a very severe form of asthma and uh, that left me with a lot of fear in my heart. Um, and I remember in sixth grade I prayed and God healed me as well. I grew up with a stepmother and uh, my dad. So my stepmother was really abusive to me and that left me with uh, a lot of resentment and uh, anger in my heart as well. But God changed my heart and led me to forgive her. Going through so much from an early young age uh, really bolstered my faith and led me to uh, learn to rely on God and rejoice too because I was seeing God in action. So I grew up in Connecticut and I grew up in a, a loving, supportive Christian home. I became a Christian at a pretty young age and um, I grew a lot in my faith through different circumstances, but one of the, the things that I've always struggled with is fear, particularly fear of the unknown. So by the time that Narcisse and I met, we, I felt like I had grown a lot in this area, um, but when we approached our first trial as a married couple or as an almost married couple, uh, we quickly realized that the way that we viewed uh, faith and what trusting God looks like was very different. And because of that, we weren't always gentle with each other in, in the process of that, that trial. So four months before our scheduled wedding date, we were hit with three different situations that we had no control of. So first, my passport expired and there was no way for me to go back to Gabon and safely come back before our wedding date. And second, my visa extension was taking too long to get renewed. So any days I could have been kicked out of the country. And uh, the last one was that at work, we had some issues um, and I was blamed for something, so I was put on probation uh, because of that. So, uh, and all I did was we prayed for all those um, situations and all I got was a dream. So God showed me that um, the visa will come at the very last day that it was supposed to come. The fact that Narcisse may not be able to be in the country or uh, continue working. All those things were up in the air. Narcisse seemed very at peace and uh, joyful during this time, which was great, but also gave me the impression that he didn't really take it seriously. So after a whole lot of stress and anxiety on my part, um, I eventually came to the same conclusion as Narcisse that we really only had one option and that was to trust that God was going to take care of us. Uh, in the end, 
Uh, just as God showed me in a dream, my visa came on the very last day that I was uh, able to stay in this country legally. And the Gabonese government was able to make an exception for my passport and they extended it for another year. And I work, I was taken off work probation. Through that whole experience, I've learned that um, not only does God take care of us in truly miraculous ways, um, but also that uh, we as a couple approach trials in life very differently. I think when, uh, when you go through a difficult circumstance as a couple, you not only need to learn how to trust God more fully, but you also need to trust your spouse and um, realize their strengths and humbly be able to learn from them in that area. So I've learned that my husband is really good at having faith and rejoicing in all circumstances. And I've been trying to learn to appreciate that more and also try to be more like that myself. I'm learning to be more compassionate and gentle because I realized that many of our struggle come from the fact that we have, uh, we came from different backgrounds and we have different personalities. I've had to learn how to um, walk through the different struggles with my wife, encourage her and listen to her emotion and gently remind her of the times that God were, was really faithful and that he will continue to be faithful as well in the future. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.